Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman. And today, my conversation partner is Dr. Jimmy Lin. And we're going to explore the question that really matters of the intersection of science and faith, and in particular about uh, scientific research. Uh, Dr. Jimmy Lin is the Chief Scientific Officer at Freenome. And Freenome is a a genomics company uh, with the mission, let me read this, to empower everyone with the tools they need to detect, treat, and ultimately prevent diseases. Jimmy, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thank you, Randy. Well, so tell us about this work that you do. It's mostly uh, research. I'm going to share more about your bio, but I I thought maybe it'd be better for our listeners just to hear right from the start. uh, So what is this that you do in your day job? Yeah, happy to. Um, I've sort of dedicated my life to to cancer research. Um, And um, from, you know, earlier mapping of the cancer genome to, you know, thinking about detection and monitoring and therapeutics. Um, And what we've learned and what I've sort of come to thinking of is cancer, by the time you catch it in its late stages, it's really, really hard to treat. And as you know, you know, chemotherapies can extend your life maybe by months, sometimes only even weeks, unfortunately. Um, but the crazy thing is that if you detect cancer early um, in stages one and two, the cure rates are very, very high. Um, so then the way to think about sort of curing cancer is not necessarily through, yes, I, we want better therapeutic interventions, but sort of the best return on investment, if you will, is be able to detect cancer early. So that's what we do at Freenome. Um, is figure out ways through right now a blood test to be able to detect cancers early, right now focusing on colorectal cancer. So as some of you may know, colorectal cancer is right now currently recommended for screening, uh, depending on the guidelines, 45-year-old or 50-year-old plus, to either screen by colonoscopy or a stool test. But unfortunately, not everybody's being screened. The, the goal is to get to 80%, but I think we're very shy of that. So what we're implementing is a, is a blood test. So the hope is you sort of go in for your annual physical and you also have your blood drawn and we'll look for all signatures of colorectal cancer in your blood and hopefully then catch cancers while it still can be treated, um, while we can do interventions. And starting with colorectal cancer, then we're thinking of moving to other cancers um, and eventually to other diseases. And hopefully that your annual physical would be a preventive medicine to look for ultimately sort of all signatures of diseases um, in your body so we can do sort of very early intervention. Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm so thankful for your work and so uh, delighted that God gives uh, people the kinds of minds and brains to be able to explore these things. Um, I should tell our listeners that you uh, you spent uh, a number of years uh, connected to the National Institute of Health and the National Cancer Institute. Um, you were connected to Johns Hopkins University and Washington University in St. Louis. Um, you've done a tremendous amount of research about uh, rare diseases. Um, but I also want to let our uh, listeners know that for a number of years, you were a board member of the C.S. Lewis Institute. And uh, you've uh, come to this calling in life from a Christian background. Tell, tell us a little bit about the uh, sort of the intersection of uh, faith and science, if you will, in your own personal life. Yeah. So I um, had early introduction to faith, but I really became 
more committed to my faith um, in, in college. Um, and at that time, I was sort of a avid scientist already um, and really sort of thinking about what are ways that uh, I, being in science, uh, can contribute and also very interested in the medical professions. Um, at, and at the beginning, I had a, you know, I think more sort of basic thinking, right, um, is I, I have this sort of hierarchy in my mind that the people who are um, the, the people who are most devoted to faith um, are, are ministers and pastors, right, um, and missionaries. And then one level down, then maybe are people who then sort of earn enough money to support the missionaries and then um, and, and having this sort of false dichotomy, if you will. And as I learned about sort of, you know, work, work by Luther and others where um, thinking about even the bread maker praising God and, and the milkmaid praising God um, and um, really thinking about what are ways that um, scientists uh, can praise God. Um, and um, so that's when I sort of started to think. Um, and there were sort of two ways that I started to think about, um, ways that what, what God was calling um, calling on my life and, and my vocation, if you will. Um, one was because of my um, gifts as sort of academic research to be um, a, a Christian in the academic circles. Um, many academics, because of where they are within academia, um, don't experience, have many interactions uh, with Christians, uh, especially in the sciences. Um, so that's one area where, you know, I started a lot of my early work um, thinking about, you know, Paul's calling uh, was to the Gentiles and potentially my calling was um, to the biological sciences within academia. Um, so um, I had I have some work in the past with, you know, uh, been on staff in university, had some theological training and really sort of helping me thinking about that's sort of my mission field um, um, to, to be in academia. Um, but then subsequently too, um, um, there were sort of opportunities as it came forth and as I was thinking about it, that there's also a big void even within, um, within sort of commercial, biotech ventures, um, where again, and then in the same way that there, there's a sort of a, a lack of Christian voice there, um, as well as sort of living out my faith um, as um, to improve human flourishing as well. Um, so I think I, I think about my, my, my life in terms of, you know, uh, living my life as, as a witness and testimony to those around me. So whether it is in academia um, or um, whether it's um, in, in the commercial sector, um, but as well, um, what I do, right, um, um, and the motivations of that. I think um, God calls us to be sort of co-creators and co-laborers um, and participating with, you know, um, the, the redemption. Um, and one of the ways is to sort of thinking about um, this world has fallen um, and sickness and disease as a result of that um, and participating in the sort of the turning back of sickness and disease um, and through my work um, of helping in terms of catching these diseases early so we can do that. So I think those are sort of the two of the major ways that I've sort of thought about uh, my calling. Oh man, you have touched on so many issues and I, and I love it. I really love it. I, I don't know if you knew, I, I spent a number of years on the staff of Campus Crusade, and in particular, uh, the for the second half of my time, uh, I was with the faculty ministry, and so I interacted with Christian professors in a whole host of different academic uh, disciplines, and they they regularly told me about how that there there were very few Christians in their yes. particular academic fields, but that was a 
just a wonderful platform that God gave them to, first of all, to uh, just show people that very, very intelligent scientists or social scientists or whatever can be Christians and that there's no contradiction uh, in that. But but it, it's it's a tough place to be a witness. Um, I, I remember one in, one professor in particular, he was a professor of uh, astrophysics, and he did a talk. He was a Christian, and he loved studying the planets and the stars, and, and he did a talk that he would go around to different places, secular universities, but also churches, and it was called uh, The Heavens Declare the Glory of God. And oh. he would talk for the first half of his presentation about, here's what we're learning from the stars and from the heavens, and here's why I think it shows the glory of God. and um, I think your research about the human body is also showing the glory of God. Am I am I uh, touching on on some things connected to your work? Yeah, without a doubt. I think the human body is so complex. Um, I think actually, if you compare compare the complexity of the human body with astronomy um, and astro uh, astrophysics, actually we have less understanding of the human body. Um, we can we can uh, predict. Um, and send people and land you know, spaceships on Mars and the moon. Um, but we can't predict whether right now a person is going to get disease in a year mm. or two. Um, the human body, even one cell of all the different components of the different proteins and RNA and DNA, even in one cell, we can't, uh, we're, we're just starting to think about simulating one cell um, in, in sort of supercomputers and now think about, you know, millions and millions of cells interacting in, in the body and the complexities of that. And, and we don't even talk about the brain. Um, and I think um, a lot of biologists, um, even secular biologists, sort of look at the complexity of the human body or just biology in general. Um, can't but just sort of marvel at the complexity and how everything sort of just fits together. Um, and in that context, then, um, within um, academia, then is, yes, you have marvel, um, but you see the creation, but do you know the creator? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then that's where I think Christian faculty, uh, when I was in school, have been um, really formative in my life. Um, and that's why one of the sort of the earlier parts of my career, I really thinking about you know, being hopefully one of the faculty that um, helps, you know, people behind me um, on, on their path of integrating faith and science as those who walk before me help guide me as well. Um, so so that's, um, and like you said, there is a dearth of sort of Christians in academia, which which is a pity, really. If you think about um, um, even um, science as we know today and, and the people who laid the foundations, whether it be like a Francis Bacon, really committed to his faith, right? This, and the, um, or you think about all the, um, um, in the big physics, um, I sort of talk about the units of measure um, are, you know, really defining of Christians who made in foundation, someone like Isaac Newton or, or Pascal, um, are, we're all very, very committed to the faith. Um, and to the point where many of them written more about their faith than about science. So if you, or even in biology, right? You think about, you know, modern genetics actually, you know, contributed by a monk. Um, so this sort of spread, you know, dichotomy that people sort of falsely portray between science of faith is actually unfounded because a lot of modern science were not only sort of laid the ground by Christians, but as a result of their Christian faith, right? Um, or um, I talk about the heavens proclaim and the glory of God, you know, someone like a Kepler, 
too, look to the heavens. Um, and, and that was a way of him living his faith out. So um, scientists living out their faith actually historically um, has been more the norm and not the exception. And unfortunately now there's uh, some sort of understanding and, and the false chasm. But if you look historically, um, of people of faith, Christians have laid a lot of the foundations of modern science. Um, and, and, and because of the, their faith, they're able to um, look at the creation and understand the creator. Well said, well said. And uh, boy, I, I just want to, you know, echo and applaud and say amen. Um, there, there was kind of a, a, a terrible, I think, uh, I would almost call it an intellectual earthquake in, in the Christian world 100, 120 years ago, where there started to be an anti-intellectualism and anti-science uh, movement or so, but but you're right. Before that, the long history was, well, the assumption was that God created the world and He created us and He created it with order, and He gave us the kinds of minds where we could investigate it. And exactly, and and we were confident that we would find out truth because there was a God of truth behind the whole creation. Um, so I, I, I do think there's a, a work today of reclaiming some of that and returning to roots, but that we'll, we'll save that for another, yes, another there's podcast. There's so much to say. Yes. Yeah. So, so tell us more about your work in, in particular. I, I heard you speak a number of years ago in downtown Washington, DC about a work you were doing where you were really investigating very rare diseases and, for a whole host of reasons, you know, we have money for research and we, we tend to go for things that affect the most amount of people. But but you had this this heart and, and desire to well, what about the diseases that only affect a small amount of people? I mean, it it, it affects them so profoundly. We should re research it. Can you tell us about that side of your work? Yeah. So around the time I was sort of working on, on helping with sort of cancer genomics efforts, um, I came across a family um, with a rare disease that was thought to be genetics that nobody could help. Um, and the thought is, can we use the ways that we map the cancer genome to map these rare disease genomes and look for genes that are sort of causative there? Um, and so um, along with some Christian brothers, um, um, we decided to think about what are ways that we can contribute um, um, and we, we started a nonprofit called the Rare Genomics Institute, um, which is um, not a Christian organization, but mostly you know, by scientists who think about um, what are ways that we can use science to be able to help you know, the least of these. Of course, we don't say that um, in our organization, but thinking about helping those with rare diseases. Um, and that sprung from a couple of things. Um, from our faith in terms of thinking of the aspects. And then we, I can also talk about, um, I'll talk about the secular side first, is um, that often these rare diseases um, point to very fundamental human biology. Um, think about if you have a car, um, if you have a, let's say a broken mirror, right? It's still mostly drivable, is a little bit more dangerous, right? But if you have something broken with your motor, right? It causes a large problem with your car. Right? Mm -hmm. So in the same way that if there, if there are rare diseases that causes major you know, biological defects, um, those are very fundamental processes. Um, and, and for us to understand them is of great scientific value uh, from the secular perspective. But from a Christian perspective, you know, we, we, we know that people are not just valuable from a sort of a um, pragmatic um, 
um, value to society, but because of their created in the image of the creator, um, of Imago Dei, so that um, driven by our faith, we think that all people um, are valuable, um, even if they have rare diseases that may or may, they may not contribute in, in the sort of purely capitalistic way to society. Um, but you know, as people, we know that they contribute in many ways of their interactions with their family, the ways that we work with them, and God's glory be shown through them. So we thought that it was very important um, to work with these these families. Of often because of how, dis- how rare these diseases are, um, there's not that much scientific finding um, at that time for these diseases, um, and not much um, scientists working on them. Um, and we we saw that we had a unique opportunity with the technology with genomics. Um, that we could make a significant impact. Um, so we, we gathered um, and we started this nonprofit and we started with a very sort of humble vision of if we can help one family at a time. Um, and we started off by just doing crowdfunding. Um, this was just the birth of crowdfunding and Kickstarter. I had some friends who helped started these companies. Um, so we just thought, you know, if you use crowdfunding um, and then we can crowdfund some of the funds. And then we go to top academic institutions like the Harvards and Yales and ask for excess research capacity. Um, and then we, uh, we crowdsource scientific ability from you know, our network. Then we can create little tiny research projects that actually will end up sequencing these genomes of rare diseases one at a time um, and maybe start finding causes. Um, and you know, close to a decade later, we've helped hundreds of these families discovering new genes. Um, starting off new research projects for these rare diseases. Um, and, and for many uh, people who participate, whether they're Christian or not, has really found um, ways that they're able to use their research to have impact in the world. Um, and for us who are Christians within the organization, really be a good steward of, of the gift of, of, of our brain and knowledge, of our intellect um, uh, and our calling to make an impact for, for those who um, the, the, the widows and orphans in the genetic sense. Hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. We'll return to my conversation in just a moment. Uh, I do want to invite you to take a look at our website, cslewisinstitute.org, and avail yourself to the many resources that we have there. Uh, we have f- over 40 years worth of articles and recordings and events that can be tremendously helpful. Uh, check out the uh, different ways that we can help you share your faith or grow deeply in your faith and uh, consider also uh, supporting the Institute. If you click on the button that says donate, uh, we would love to have you as a ministry partner. Now let's return to the conversation. And I, I love the way you're connecting these really crucial theological foundations. What, what does it mean to be a person created in the image of God? What does it mean to care about the least of these? What, what does it mean to love our neighbor? You know, we you can say these things in, in sort of like these kind of vague platitudes. Um, but then if you really think about them and, and then say, okay, so what's the application of this truth? The truth is we're creating the image of God. Okay, how does that affect me as a researcher of genomics or as a teacher of biology in a, in a secular high school or, you know, a million applications. Can, can you, can you share a particular story about how your research has helped a specific individual? Is that possible? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, 
and I've done this in many contexts. Um, so one of the early um, children that we met um, um, had, had a was born healthy, um, but you know, around sort of age of maybe three. I'm, I'm a little fucking on, on details now, um, but started to have neur- neurological decline. It's a healthy baby. It started sort of growing um, and, and having a decline. Actually, the age was probably close to sort of one and a half. Um, and then the, the parents rushed them um, to the emergency room and figured what was wrong, um, and they couldn't. Um, and they went from doctor to doctor, to doctor mm. to doctor. Um, and similar to, you think about biblically, right, the, the bleeding woman, for example. Yeah, um, right. Going to, you know, doctor to doctor. They've done that. And then um, by the time we met this family, um, they've been looking for doctors for um, over a decade. Um, oh, my God. Uh, over a dozen years. And, and having no answers. Um, and, and doctors like, we don't know how to help. Um, so when we got connected with family, like, you know what, we, we don't know for sure whether we can find out what's wrong, but we can definitely sort of give it a try. Um, so, so we mapped, um, um, the genome of, of the boy and the family, um, with the help of, um, different universities. Um, and lo and behold, we were able to find potential causative genes, um, that were wrong. Um, and these were in sort of neurological pathways. Um, and, and that was significant, um, um, neurological pathways that was more affecting on the muscle part um, of dystonia. Um, and this allowed the parents to do a bunch of things. Um, number one is um, for the longest time, the parents have thought um, that this little boy um, was sort of intact in terms of his um, communication, but just wasn't able to sort of move muscles and, and have been really involved in this boy's life um, and, and exposing him. But this was now sort of um, further evidence that it's purely a muscular thing. And this is when iPads were starting to come in vogue of um, being used for, for eye tracking. And they started to try this and convince the doctors. Um, and um, through those technologies, uh, this little boy was starting to be able to actually communicate. Um, and then not sort of like the parents, like we, we knew that he was in there all along. Um, and then started to communicate with, with his parents for the first time. Um, and this little boy has an amazing sense of humor, actually. Um, and um, um, in addition to then also be plugged in, depending because of the gene that was found, to um, related diseases and to then starting doing research there um, and be able to um, think about what are ways to be able to take care um, of him. There, there's not a magic cure yet, um, and it's probably not going to be for a while. And this researchers most likely going to benefit uh, future um, patients in the past, but even the very fact that, that there's sort of now communication and, and he's living well, I actually attended his 18th birthday um, and, and just, you know, seeing seeing how um, this has helped transform not only the little boy, but the whole family and the extended family um, and through, right, a, a diagnosis that ultimately initially was nowhere to be found. Um, and that's one of many, many stories that really encourages all of us who, you know, do this work day in and day out. Um, and, and how, you know, even, even the, the smallest hope that you can give to families who potentially have given up um, really encourages them and, and potentially may have sort of significant results. Mm. Oh man, what a great work! What a great work! So, so uh, tell me again. This is this is uh, called Rare Genomics. Uh, yes, Rare Genomics Institute. Um, Institute. Yeah, and, yeah. 
And can people go on the internet and find out about this? And yeah, uh, it's just regenomics.org. Regenomics.org. Fantastic. That's really great. Um, so I, I sometimes feel like my part of my role on this uh, podcast is to underline certain things or or then to apply some things. So as I'm listening to you, I'm I'm thinking, well, one of the things, you know, we very often uh, we'll read about something in the news about some new discovery or whatever. And, and it's reported that it's OK, it's it's this discovery. And for people who don't have the technical training or the background, it's like, oh, well, okay, scientists discovered something, yay. Or, uh, oh, the people at the National Institutes of Health, they they put something together about genomes and DNA. Um, so, um, and, and I do think for a lot of people is is they just, they downplay that or they or they dismiss it. But, but it seems to me that, that that should be a prompter for prayer for all Christians of uh, thank you, Lord, for raising up people with brilliant minds who can discover these things. And then, Lord, would you would you raise up other doctors and researchers and people like Jimmy Lin and his uh, the people he works with to to help more and more people? I mean, it's a prompter for prayer. Uh, I also want to say we we should also be as the Christian Church we should be some of the greatest encouragers of students who are really scientifically minded to really pursue that calling and and go get to the best graduate school and get the best PhD and to do research along these lines because uh, our our mindset of God is the one who created us, and He created our world with order that we can we can uh, research and find out and love our neighbors and and help people with these diseases that are very rare and but so very very uh, intimidating and scary. So I know I'm just preaching a sermon here. Um, so <laughs> no, I'm I, I, so I mean um, I, I listened to some teaching in the past, um, but. By J. I. Packer, um, when he mm. teaches um, his class, uh, class at Regents, um, he actually he sings the doxology um, before his class, um, and um, and then he sort of ends. Why do we even sing the doxology before we study? And he says, um, theology is for doxology, right? Mm. Uh, too many people, even some you know some divinity schools or you know um, schools of religion, often just study religion for religion's sake. But actually, we mm. need as Christians think about, right, we study theology, the study of God, in order to praise God. Um, so in the same way, I've sort of, you know, adapted uh, um, Dr. Piper's um, teaching to think about, right, um, science is for doxology, biology is for doxology, chemistry is for doxology, um, and, and all these scientific uh, ast astronomy is for doxology. So that's why I was sort of thinking about using uh, a term that I use is sort of us um, not as sort of Christian scientists, which is obviously is confusing, but as scientific doxologists, right? that, that we praise God through um, our work in science. But this can be applicable to anybody, whether you're a journalist, journalistic doxologist, or whether you know, you're, you're a, a bread maker, right? a, a bakery doxologist, and all that we do in, in praise of God. Um, and another example, um, another theologian that has been helpful, I've sort of sit under the teaching of Dr. Grudem, um, who thinks about, he gives an example which has been vivid in my heart, is um, he thinks about if Adam were today and, you know, the very fact of going to open the faucet for a drink of water um, and how amazing <laughs> it would be. And he's like, wow, you mean 
God enabled people to create technologies to have pipes and to mm-hmm, areas mm-hmm. to make it clean and this this clear melted sand thing container so I can drink glass like um, and just be blown away and like praise God for that um, or something like a Jared Packer um, John, John Piper talks about you know praising God um, even drinking orange juice um, and I think they're just so many opportunities uh, for us um, to, to praise God and, and, and things that we see. And as you said, I think scientific discovery is definitely an area where we see, wow, you know, praise God that um, humans uh, with the intellect that God has given them have been able to understand uh, another mystery of God that is now revealed to them um, mm. and, and to be able to sort of show God's glory even more. Um, um, and hopefully that, you know, that everything that um, as, as Christians that we do is everything that we do adds to God's glory in the world. Right? Um, so so that, that's a definitely an opportunity, as you say, in terms of looking at scientific discoveries and that becomes something of prayer and praise. Scientific doxologists. What a great term. I love it. I, I, I just I I want people to. Uh, explore all of those kinds of things. Uh, That's really great. Have you ever wondered what heaven is going to be like? What will it look like? What will we do there? We all have questions about heaven. And uh, we, the C.S. Lewis Institute, are delighted to invite Dr. Randy Alcorn, who has spent decades, literally, Uh, researching the topic. He's written uh, award-winning books on the topic, and he's going to be presenting a live stream event for us uh, through the C.S. Lewis website on January 22nd at 8 p.m. Please check out the website, www.cslewisinstitute.org, and find out the details about the Randy Alcorn event. I think it'll be really great. You know, um, if I can take a minute, I, I used to, when I was in campus ministry, I used to do this talk at uh, conferences for students. Um, is God calling you to academia? And uh, we, we used to have a very small crowd that came to our workshop. <laughs> we, they gave us a very small room. And if we had a dozen students, it was always great. But I, I would do this talk and I, I would tell about professors who are Christians in physics or biology or engineering or a million different things. And I I would just encourage students, you know, if you're in this field, maybe God has given you this heart for this because he's called you to pursue this and pursue Mm -hmm. this and pursue this. And one time I said, you know, God, God is calling people into all sorts of different academic fields. And then almost partly like a joke, I said, you know, he even calls some people into anthropology, if you can imagine that. Well, um, and it, and part of it was that I, I knew a professor of anthropology who was a Christian at one of the schools that I worked at. And so he would always say that he was he was a lone voice in his department. So a- after my, my talk, this, this young woman came up and she was in tears. She was crying. And I thought, oh, this, this is not a good sign. And uh, she, said, uh, she said that she was getting a master's degree in anthropology. And I thought I insulted her. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to insult you. She said, no, 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 no. It wasn't insulting at all. She said, you were the first Christian who's ever said anything positive about anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. All right. This, this went a bit different direction. 
Um, but, but we really do want to encourage people, uh, if this is God's world and he made it and he made people in, in this world, Amen. we should study it. We should research Amen. it and we should explore ways for, for both, both doxology and also loving our neighbor, loving, mm-hmm. loving people, even if they are of the least of these. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jimmy, I we, we could talk more and more, but I, I I want to wrap this up a little bit. Is there is there anything else you want our listeners to think about or to hear about your your perspective of where science and faith, or or where your particular research um, prompts you for doxology, or anything in closing? Yeah, I know people you know have different views on, on the intersection of science and faith, and. Um, and then there's even some fear of, you know, increasing of science then will decrease of faith. And, I, and for those who have the fear, then I would just encourage that, you know, our God is a God of everything, including science. You know, in fact, uh, God created science um, and and to not see science um, as sort of an antagonistic to our faith, but to see the many ways that science uh, can be glorifying to our faith, uh, glorifying to our God um, and, um, and and to, to not be afraid. Um, um, and, and I know that there have been, you know, atheistic sort of uses of science, um, to, to attack, but, but that's just used in, in the wrong way. Um, so for those who, you know, I still have a hesitation of, of, of science, um, whether, whether you're a student, um, and whether you have, um, you have kids who are pursuing it or, or yourself, um, um, don't, don't be afraid. Our God is much, much bigger than that. And I would encourage people to pursue uh, the different academic disciplines that, that they're called to um, and, and, and see ways um, that, that God has really shown himself in that way um, and not be afraid of any of the academic disciplines of, of being in a sort of a vehicle to be against faith, but actually to redeem it, to be a continued vehicle to glorify God. Oh, amen. That was that, that's a good place for us to wrap up. Uh, you know, our, our C.S. Lewis Institute, we say that we, we're in uh, in the legacy of C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was an academician. He was a, mm-hmm. a professor of English uh, literature and medieval literature. And uh, he saw no contradiction between pursuing things academically, rigorously, and also pursuing his faith very, very thoughtfully. And so um, we really hope that uh, this, this conversation that I've had now with Jimmy Lin will be an encouragement to our listeners. And, and in particular, we hope that this will help uh, uh, all of our listeners uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. Uh, please visit uh, Jimmy's uh, organization's website, raregenomics.org, and also cslewisinstitute.org. And uh, may God bless you as you love him with all of your mind.